This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. Now, if you have joined us for the very first time, welcome. Thank you for becoming an equity mate. If you are still getting up to speed with the basics, go and check out our Get Started Investing podcast. But without further ado, my name is Bryce. And as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you? I'm very good, Bryce. Excited for this episode. Uh, This is an interview we pre-recorded back at the end of last year. And God, we were excited at the time. Mm, One of our mm. non-financial heroes. One of our non-financial heroes, but a hero nonetheless. And it's actually come out at a pretty good time because the AFL season is now in full swing. We're Some in the may second say week. we planned it. <laughs> Some may. <laughs> I would like to think that we have that uh, foresight. But yes, we sat down. We had the pleasure of sitting down at uh, an event in Melbourne last year hosted by Owen Raskovich and Rask Australia. We sat down with Lee Matthews, AFL legend Lee Matthews, uh, to discuss... Premiership winning player and coach Mm. Lee Matthews. Yeah, to discuss money and leadership and how we can take some of the major lessons that Lee learned through his time coaching and uh, and playing AFL and and developing players and, and building leadership styles and philosophies and how we can take that and approach it to our own money journey. So it's a, it was a fascinating interview. Some really, really good actionable insights ca- came from this from my point of view. Would love to hear your feedback and uh, please do leave us a five-star review on Spotify and Apple as well. So, Ren, without further ado, here is our uh, interview with the, with the one and only Lee Matthews. All right. Well, hello, everyone, and uh, happy Party Shirt Fridays. We, uh, we're really excited for this one. My name is Bryce. For those that uh, haven't come across us before, I am uh, the co-founder of Equity Mates Media. And uh, just like many other podcasters in this room, uh, our mission is to make investing accessible for for, uh, for young Australians. And this is my co-host and co-founder as well, uh, Renners. How are you going, Ren? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited to be here for this live event. Uh, we had to wear party shirts. Owen is trying to make party shirts a thing in finance. And in honour of him, we had to wear two of his party shirts today. But um, shout out to Owen for organising this, the whole Rask Australia team for putting it on. Yes. Ooh. But look, we are incredibly excited because we have uh, none other than uh, AFL uh, legend, Lee Matthews. Lee, welcome. Good evening, Bryce and Alex. Sorry to dull down the night uh, with my uh, attire, but anyway, we'll have a bit of fun for half hour talking about our footy. What about that good in the hurling knew where the MCG was? I know. What's Jeez. <laughs> You wouldn't believe so it. So after this, Lee will be walking to the MCG. Anyone who wants to know where the MCG is, follow him. So we're going to spend the next 20 minutes or so unpacking um, Lee's experience with leadership and motivation, discipline, and then there will be some opportunity for questions at the end. It's not often you get a chance to, uh, to speak with Lee, so we'll make sure we leave time for that. Um, but we, we must start with AFL and get that out of the road before we talk about the serious stuff, right? Okay. <laughs> AFL is the serious stuff. That's fair call, fair call. So we're going to do a quick fire. Four quick questions, Lee. First one is flag for 2023. What's the pick? Oh, you start with the easy questions. Yes. Uh, okay, Geelong finished the best team, so status quo, they might win it again. Nice. Okay, some Geelong fans in the audience. <laughs> uh, what about Wooden Spoon? 
Well, North Melbourne, they were on the bottom at the end. I mean, the, what, the thing you should know is what happened last year is not going to happen next year, to be honest, but let's say uh, North Melbourne will finish bottom again. Okay. Jeez. Pretty conservative, aren't I, in my investing and my uh, theorising? Not a risk taker, that's for sure. <laughs> an important reminder that past performance is not an indication of future performance. <laughs> All right, so rumours of a new team coming in, uh, Tassie. Should we have a Tassie team? Well, Tasmania's been a state that's been into AFL. That seems to be the main reason why uh, uh, Tassie should have a team. It's hard to answer it quickly. You hope if it comes in, it's the only team, really, sports team in Australia that I'm aware of that the state government, the state government, the Tasmanian government are putting in 12 million per year for 12 years wow. to help get the funding of the club and maybe provide a better stadium for, the, for them to play out of. So it's a very different uh, situation. But for me, I don't, I don't think we need a ninth team in the competition. I think 18 is plenty. Uh, secondly, I hope if Tasmania does come in, which I think they will, um, that they're not one of the half the team that needs additional help from the AFL to stay viable. Mm. Uh, so we hope. We'll see what happens, but I think they'll come in. Mm. Nice. Well, somehow I've managed to get the microphone caught. Uh, well, Lee, last quick-fire question. Uh, I'm a Swans fan. Bryce is a Bombers fan. Oh, so yeah. self-indulgently, who's going to finish higher, Swans or Bombers? Uh, I'm a fan of Brad Scott. Yes. But I have to go for the Swans. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Now, um, Lee, every interview we start with our experts, we ask them the story of their first investment. So we yep. thought we'd start there. Your experience is in footy and AFL, but yep. if you can shed some light on that moment in time where you deployed some capital in some form, yeah. what was it? What was the story? Oh, it would be the first house. Way back for me in the early 70s in Dingley, bought a block of land and, and built a house. So that would have been the first uh, financial investment was all of about $5,000 back then, so uh, do doesn't times, time, uh, things change over time. Yeah. <laughs> no one asks how much it's worth today. No one asks, <laughs> all right? <laughs> all right, well, Lee, from that moment to today, uh, how, how do you think about investing now? Do you have an investing philosophy? Well, I'm 70 years of age. I'm getting towards the end of my work life. I still do a bit of media, so I still get paid, got a paid job. But capital preservation is my first priority at, at this part of my life. I'm a fairly logical person. Got no much vision. I'm, not, I'm a poor investor because I can't really visualise the future. So I tend to use people who have got that, you know, financial advisor, for instance. So, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, that's, uh, but capital preservation, I think, at this part of my existence probably is the main thing. Mm. Now, Lee, uh, Owen said he would buy us a beer if we could get a stock tip off you. And yep. Bryce and I were putting our heads together and thinking, how could we subtly weave into the conversation something that would lead to a stock tip? Yeah. But we're, we're, we're nothing but him. not subtle. Yeah. Have you seen the shirts we're wearing? Yeah, so we're just going to ask you. <laughs> you got a stock got tip for us? <laughs> Owen, you got a swear? Uh, right, but a sector. Logic tells me that we know that there's this hope that renewables are going to power the world over this next generation. Maybe they will, but it might be that you need something else and, and maybe for all its potential downsides that nuclear might well be the base load alternative. It seems logical to me to be, think about it. I mean, anyway, that's, uh, so maybe something in the, uh, in the uh, uranium or the energy or the nuclear energy sector might be my punt. Nice. Good punt. <laughs> all right. <laughs> So, Lee, as investors, um, one thing that we like to focus on is management and leadership qualities of the companies that uh, we're investing in, get an understanding of how they're thinking about the future, how they're thinking about taking risk, uh, investing capital, those sorts of things. 
You've spent a lot of time in high-performance culture and, and developing leaders through teams and developing your own leadership philosophy as well. <laughs> what are some of the key characteristics of, of good leaders that you've seen come through, uh, players that you've coached, and also what are some of the characteristics that you personally hold for your own leadership philosophy? Uh, well, they have to be good salespeople, really, because it doesn't matter whether you're a manager or a coach, it doesn't matter what your title is, you're selling to your group your philosophies in a way. This is what we want you to do for, uh, for us to be successful. The, the other part of that philosophy is individuals don't sacrifice for groups, uh, but uh, we talk investment, I guess, in terms of financial, but uh, in the little world that I've been involved in most of my life, the AFL world, each individual player wants to be really successful deep down in his soul. He probably wants to be best on ground more than his team winning, deep down. But you learn that investing in the team cause and making the team better, you get your rewards. Like in our sport, you, you know, you come off the ground, you feel good about yourself, you sing the song in the rooms, you have, a, you have an emotional upper that really doesn't exist anywhere else in the world that I've been, been involved in. It might only last for a, a, a few minutes or half an hour or something. So that investment in the team, but it has to be win-win. So the, the manager coach has to convince individuals, you'll be better if we do ABC. And, uh, and the role-playing mount, mount mantra that we need you to do to make the, your role within the team its most valuable, well, you've got to sell it. You've got to convince them and then acknowledge their, their, uh, their work in the, uh, at the end of the process, which is probably in the footy world every Monday. <laughs> you should see the emotional upper we get when our portfolios turn green. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. who, who would be some of the best leaders in, that you had in your time from, from a football point of view? Well, I look way, way back. When I first started, I'm a, I went to Hawthorne as a 17-year-old, so you're a young man. And when you're young, you, you are uh, kind of there for, to be moulded, I guess, by what you see. And we, we had our kids back in the part-time year. Our, our, our coach was a guy by the name of John Kennedy. He was a school principal by profession, and he's working as a school principal and as a coach 50-odd years ago. But the, the basic principle that stayed with me kind of ever since was that, that uh, convincing of us that we have to be subservient to the team. Doesn't matter how egotistical you are and how driven you are, and no one was more driven and egotistical than me, I can tell you. But John Kennedy convinced us, now the way is, this is a group, a group thing. And life's a group thing. As much as we might want to be individually successful. He taught us that was right. He also, so some basic principles that were really footy ones, like injuries above the neck don't matter. In the modern concussion era, I don't know where that one sits. Uh, he also he used to always say, in terms of the physical contact nature of the sport, don't show them you're hurt. I got knocked out twice, but I've never had my back on a stretcher. I got up, even though I was unconscious. Because John Kennedy convinced me he's a bloody good salesman. That's what I'm telling you. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Well, I'm glad I'm not a professional footy player. After yeah, that's that. changed a little bit in the modern era, but it's still pretty physical out in the middle. So, Lee, uh, one thing that you had to do as a coach, uh, and especially a multiple premiership winning coach, yeah. is take a group of young people and, you know, mould them into a team and develop them as individuals. Uh, you're speaking to a room full of relatively young people here. Uh, Glenn and my hairline beg to differ, but um, <laughs> um, what, what some of the things that you really tried to instil in the young people when you were coaching and that we should all take you know, we're not in high-performance yeah. sports teams, but we're yeah. all trying to be high-performance investors. Well, my last coaching stint was at the Brisbane Lions from 1999 to 2008, and that's when 
Football became a little bit more like normal, normal world life in a way where you become a full-time footballer. So you're not just going like the suburban players going to training and then playing on the weekends. It was now a job. So that's that. So this last couple of generations. So that was a really interesting. It's different when the players are pretty much available all the, all the time to you. I mean, it might not be as as much of a nine to five, and and therefore they. It's not only their sort of passion and their hobby. Uh, it's also their livelihood, and that adds a lot more pressure, really, from what it was in the days when it was more just a, you know a part time footy. So so actually, therefore, being aware of that and being aware of the mo the emotional cycle, I always thought that the physical, physical contact sports are a combination of the, the, the uh, physical, what your body can do, your mental, your knowledge, but your emotional state is what fluctuates all the time. And trying to, uh, to know yourself, we had a, a sports psychologist who I, I wish I knew of this man when I played in a couple of my years, but how, uh, knowing yourself and those around you is a really good basis for working well as a group. And everyone's different. And it doesn't mean that uh, you know, different personalities are better or worse, but they are different. Like, for instance, there's an, a personality that, that this sports psychologist referred to as the enforcer uh, per personality. So in the pre-game, I'd be like the one of them. You're like going to war. Yeah, you're in the dressing room, you put a towel over my head and away, it's like I'm about to go to war. But there's a mozzie, another personality. There's, only, there's four that we're all a bit of, but this mozzie, they like to muck around and play jokes. And the, the enforcers and the mozzies think the mozzies aren't really fair income. They're not really trying because they're having fun. <laughs> but we learn that that works. That works for them. So leave the mozzies alone. Let them hang around together. You enforcers, you can go in the corner and do your thing and we leave each other alone. So that's just an example of knowing yourself and your tendencies and also those around you. But what I did like about this particular psychologist, Phil Jaunch, used to say, but bottom line, we don't really care what you think. We only care what you can do. <laughs> See, people think, think thinking matters. Actions are the only thing that matters. <laughs> That's the only thing that ever counts. And it's the only thing that can ever be recorded. So, so that, that ability to control your sort of emotional states, know when I'm getting worked up, have the flag stop, being, being able to sort of calm yourself down. That was something that, uh, that the, was the basis of the, the Lions team, which had a really successful period and a lot of it, and we did it with wives, partners, staff. It's not only the players, it's everybody uh, that, uh, that has a little bit better knowledge, of, again, of what your tendencies are yourself and, and what other people's are and working within that with each other. Yeah, some great sort of uh, crossover there with understanding who you are as an investor and managing your own money and, and where you sit. Um, and you know, controlling emotion, those sorts of things when, when markets are tanking and who you are and how you act, understanding that is super important. For those uh, that are sitting here and uh, looking to find a bit of an edge in, in their investing or in, in, uh, in managing their, their own money, uh, really interested to know how you tried to find an edge. You won three premierships in a row with the Brisbane Lions. What did you put in place that wasn't the Essendon approach of uh, the, <laughs> the early, whatever, like 2010s, but um, what did you put in place or what were some of the things you tried to find uh, a competitive edge? Oh, well, it's a principle as much as anything, but you've got to try and find the competitive edge. That's the point. You are searching for the competitive edge. Um, it's a, it's a non-profit sport in a sense. Everyone gets paid and like a top-level AFL player now might get a million dollars, a top-level coach might get a million dollars. but. It, it is actually uh, no, no one profits 
from the club. So we've every, all the monies that the club can generate through supporters and TV rights and all that goes back into preparing the player. So in, back in that era, in terms of uh, finding the competitive edge, I think the most radical thing that we did, we played a game in Cairns, uh, pre-season game in February, everyone sweats a lot, you dehydrate. You, you can't possibly drink enough in to actually, for the amount of, that you're sweating it in that really humid environment. Our, our doctors and our conditioning staff, let, let's give them an IV drip, those who've really lost the 4 or 5k. So they put the saline solution in direct to their vein um, and it seemed to work quite well. Um, so for the next few years, I'd be talking to the players at half time and it'd like a bloody doctor's surgery. There'd be an IV drip hanging from the wall into the players' arms. They do it at half time and post game. After a few years, it was legal. It was only saline solution. But yeah. I mean, I, I, got, I got to say, I could understand when the AFL sort of found out about it, they thought this is not a good look for the local under 15 team. I could understand that. So they banned it. And they banned it two weeks before we were to play the grand final in 2001. So, okay, what did our conditioning staff do? They got a refrigerated van in underneath at the MCG outside our room. So at half time, you can't put the IV drip in, go and put the players in the really cold atmosphere for 10 or 15 minutes to help them not um, sweat quite so much. Just an example, every little yeah. bit helps. Mm. Now that, that did help. Uh, we found a, a pilot, a Qantas pilot, who was prepared. We had a theory, or our conditioning people had a theory that if you fly at a lower altitude, the air pressure is different. It might have different effects on your physiological state, particularly post-game when you're coming back, flying back from a game. So we found this guy, Don Lehman was his name, a Qantas pilot. He would fly the plane, it was safe, obviously, at about 15,000 feet. Just felt like you're about to land any time. <laughs> and we did that for two or three years too. And that's, that's like your placebo thing. I don't know whether yeah, it helped yeah. or not. But it helped our players because I always said, as a club, if you can believe that our organisation is the top of its field, yeah. forget about other fields, but in the AFL, say there's 18 clubs, if our club and our system and our people and our conditioning is, is, is cutting edge and they believe it, which our players did, even if it's a placebo effect, it's valuable. Love yeah. that. Yeah. I just can't wait for a number of AFL coaches to start implementing placebos <laughs> next year. Yeah, yeah. Low fly zones. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to go back to uh, the the idea of you know people think it's they people don't care about what you think; it's your actions that yeah, matter. Yeah. And you know that holds very true in investing, and especially in a year like this, everyone's had plenty of thoughts as their portfolio falls. But it's the actions that you take that matter. Um, not selling, sticking in for the long term, taking the opportunity to take advantage of the current prices. Um, but a key part of that is managing emotion because mm. uh, it, as an investor, it's, it's very easy to get swept up in the emotion and panic or, and sell or, you know, on the other side, get swept up when things are good and get FOMO and, you know, overextend yourself or whatever. So how have you seen uh, the players that you've coached and when you're a player, how, what, what's some of the best techniques you've seen to manage those emotions and really stay in control? Well, well, it's something that probably every team does and it's gone more and more as time's gone in a more complex manner. And it's, that, it's, that, it's a simple principle in, in concept. I mean, we know what our objective is. I mean, when you go and play a game of football, there's a scoreboard there. So it, the, whoever kicks the most score wins. That's our objective. So you've got to know what your objective for a start, don't you? But it's clear in the footy world. And you, and you plan and prepare to do your best you can in the game. You play the game, 
you have an emotional response. If you win a close game, it might be just euphoria. If you lose a close game, it's bloody depressing. You feel like your world's about to end. <laughs> but either way, about a day later, you come out of that emotional state because you start planning ahead. And the first start of planning ahead is to look back and review. Okay, and I used to always make sure it was a day or two after the game, so the emotional state had flattened out. Now we can rationally look back what happened, what worked for us, what didn't work for us, and then, guess what, we start that process again, the planning preparation for the, for the next weekend. So it's a simple principle when you think of it, uh, but a, in a group situation, I mean, if a group can't spend half an hour together talking about what's happened the previous week, we're kind of kidding ourselves, aren't we? Mm. But how many groups don't? I'd say a lot. Mm. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Well, Lee, we could sit here all night and, and chat footy and, uh, and all, all other things, but we should open it up to the audience. We've got about uh, eight minutes or so before Lee needs to jet off. So, I mean, now's the chance to speak to AFL legend in the house. So I don't know how we're going to facilitate this, Owen, but... Well, uh, Owen's there. Great, with a mic. Stick your hand up. Oh, and Manik Sarah's I'll Stick your hand up if you've got a question. While we're looking for a question, uh, I've got one more... Uh, thing to ask you, Lee. We've had a few AFL players or ex-AFL players on the show. Some of them are great investors. Um, in your time, and, and we hear that there's a lot of stock chat and these days crypto and NFT chat in locker rooms. Who's the best investor you've come across in a locker room in your time? Well, I should be thinking who's the well, who's become the wealthiest, uh, <laughs> the wealthiest, wealthiest post player. Probably Craig Kelly, who I, who actually I coached at Collingwood. And he was, a, he was a South Australian. It took him about three years to, work, to convince him to come to Melbourne. But then he, he started up uh, one of the player management groups in the mid-90s, and that became TLA, which, uh, which is a very big organisation. He sold it a couple of times for 20 million and bought it back for about five. So he's sort of done that about twice. <laughs> he's got to be the man, I reckon. Nice. He's That's got to be the man. He's, he's actually, it's worked well for Gray. They say he's about to become CEO of Collingwood. I don't know if he could afford to do that. Wow. <laughs> he's, a, he's, I, he's that wealthy. I won't ask you who the worst is. Let's, uh, uh, come on. <laughs> but, 
I'm going me. Okay. <laughs> no, not a good investor. Can't uh, can't think forward. No, no. I'm, I live in the moment, unfortunately. I haven't got I've got no vision. I'd like to have some more some vision. I'm going to for use people like you. I'll be on your pod, podcast next week to see what you're saying about stuff. Sounds good. Well, uh, <laughs> make sure you're subscribing to Equity Mates Equity so mates. you can hear Lee yeah, yeah. Uh, come on the podcast. But Owen, Monique, do we have uh, someone in the audience? Hi. Hello. Um, first comment, you were my favourite player as a kid. Oh, thank you. You must be very old, but anyway, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I had the number three on the back. And ah, fantastic. Thank um, you. Quick question. There are two parts. So when you, when you get your money, how do you decide how to allocate it? And do you, do you yourself have a financial coach? Uh, well, I've got a financial advisor. Yeah, I employ an, a, a financial advisor to look after the part of my super, super fund. I'm old enough to have the... At least I had some. I made some good decisions, really, for people of our age. If whatever wealth you've got, you want to be in your super fund, don't you? Because it's had its certainly had its tax advantages over, over the years. You still got to decide what to do with the money in the super, the super fund. Um, but uh, so I've got a I've got a financial advisor who looks after uh, part of that. I'm a bit of a control freak, so he only looks after about a third of the pot, and I look after the other two thirds of the pot. Yeah, yeah. But I'm I'm a, I'm a very conservative investor, very conservative. I think there's one here in the middle, Owen. Uh, Lee, just keen to understand how you get your head out of a dark cloud and how do you can sort of control your emotion? Because some see through your coaching um, period at Brisbane was some that we, we know how you, you somewhat control your temper and we've sort of seen you sort of lose your control at some point, but yeah, at the yeah, same time, yeah, yeah, yeah. which don't get me wrong, it was very entertaining for all of us <laughs> here, but, uh, but at the same time, when you do speak, we do see the players, we do see the staff really listen to you and, and sometimes the way that you sort of control your tone and your voice and, and that moment, um, keen to really just understand it from, in a bit yeah. more detail from your perspective. Now, what you say is very important. I mean, I, I, I'm, I try very hard when I coach not to be a stress carrier because just the competition's a stress. The fact the opposition are trying just as hard to win as you are, there's stress. How am I going to perform? How are we going to perform? So you don't want the coach. You want the coach trying to assist them. So, for instance, I, I had a reasonable ability to have a cold exterior and my guts would be churning didn't necessarily look that way. But one of the things I did in about the hour before the game, because I, I could feel myself getting uptight, particularly as a coach, sometimes I'd even dry reach and stuff. I mean, I, I just, because I was about to lose control once they ran out onto the field. So I wouldn't go near the players for about the last hour before the game, because I didn't want my stress to rub off on them. But the other part of that, that stress is the thing I meant before, I, I lived that cycle for 37 years of actually you perform and you have an emotional response and it might be good or it might fit. But if I lost the family, they just don't talk to me for a day. <laughs> but a day later you come out of the fog because you start planning ahead. And that's kind of, the, so, so all of a sudden, okay, you, you've had a really bad experience but you've got a chance again to do something sort of good in the next phase. That's the great thing about the week-to-week -week cycle of sport when you think of it. But, yeah, no, but I, I trying hard to not let your emotions be reflected in your actions or your manners or your appearance. Um, I wasn't too bad at that, which is a pretty important, uh, pretty important quality, I think, particularly in modern footy when the coach has got a camera on them almost as much as the players have when the game is on. Yeah, I'm talking about in the two and a half hours of the game. 
I think we got another um, question at the front. I might yeah. just jump in and we'll come to you next. Uh, I've got a question from the live stream, which is uh, from Morgan, who says, how have you managed someone that became fixated on a certain path or strategy and refused to be open to other options? Well, you, you do your best to um, meld that in. So it, it depends, let's face it, if he's a very, very, very good player and it helps us win games of footy, you do put up with a lot. <laughs> because what are we there for? We're there to win games of footy. So if he's a good player, he's got to be doing a lot of things wrong not to be valuable. But if you can't, if, if all, even if these are really, it's, it, the high performing individual in the team sport is a, you often get asked about that. And you try to just make sure that it's melded in so that it's a net positive, that the net positive, they were positive to the team performance. If it comes to the stage they're not, then they have to leave the team. That's the bottom, yeah, that's the end result. But that, that means maybe you've, you've failed as a manager, but sometimes we all have failures in that regard because sometimes over time individuals just won't, be, they'll become net negatives to the group. But that's, that's one of the things that managers and, and coaches have to, uh, have to decide. Okay, I think we had one more down the front here. I'll just come around. Just want to say, Lee, that uh, I've always been a big fan, and you crushed my childhood dream of uh, Richmond getting to a grand final in 2001. Back in the oh, spring. yeah, yes, that's right. Yes, we yeah. did. Yeah. But thankfully, we've had good times yes. Uh, yes. the last few years. Um, you talk of being a salesperson and trying to emulate that in the AFL. How did you get your team to three grand finals and sell them that each year? Well, well, I think there was a couple of things that our team, it's interesting when, when your team looks back and they talk about it now, almost you know, a couple of decades later. One, they lived in the moment. Like, basically, you, you've got to know when to focus and when to relax. You know, when to train, again, when, when to relax. So you've got to be able to, to uh, uh, have, uh, have that ability to concentrate on the now. Mostly, mostly life's about what's going to happen the next hour. Okay, once we've done that the best we can, then we'll get into the hour after that. So living in the moment was, was really important. And, and, they, and they embraced the concept, the role-playing contract, that investing in the team by embracing our role. Now, that's where the selling part was, that I had to convince them that the, the role we're asking you to play, you, everyone in football, 95%, they all do the same thing. But there's, there's a part of the game that we want you to do this, the I... Uh, Alistair Lynch was a big forward. We want, if we're in, in trouble, kick the ball in his head 10, 15 moves out from our goal. Big, strong man, you know, he'll mark it or come to ground. Craig McRae, who now coaches Collingwood, his job, if the ball comes off his hands, you ought to be there to give ground level support. Like, just some basic things like that. But our players uh, started to, uh, um, we, lost, we lost a game by 15 goals in early 2001. The following week we lost by five points. The following week we played Essendon who hadn't lost for about two years. We beat them 120 straight after winning, losing by 15 goals two weeks before. So one, you never know what's going to happen. But our players look back on what we identified from that Carlton game was Carlton's performance was based on a two, three or four players that you wouldn't even know, unless, know of unless you're Collingwood supporters. Anthony Franchina, Darren Hume, Glenn Freeborn, who, who were the role players, the chasers, the tacklers, the pressures, pressures that allowed the good players to be good players. And our players embraced that. Brad Scott, uh, Marcus Ashcroft, Craig McRae, you know, played different players. And, and that was the, what our team believes was the principle, the two, couple of principles 
on which they base their performance and from that, uh, partly from that, they had to have the talent of course, a very talented group, uh, but uh, that, was the, that was kind of the psychological belief systems, as simple as it sounds, uh, that was the base of the performances of those, the team that played in the four consecutive grand finals in the early 2000s, yeah. I think we've got time maybe for one more, down the back, yeah. Hi Lee, I just wanted to talk to you about what you did with young people and dealing with the amounts of money professional sports people actually got. So how did you deal with that 18-year-old kid drafted back in 2000, they were getting quarter of a million dollars. Mm, mm. What was the club doing? What was the, the way that you were dealing with the financial windfall that your players had? But also then the other side of that question is once they left the AFL, and that windfall fell away very quickly. How were you dealing with that emotion, with that sort of physical change that they were experiencing from the money they were accepting? Yeah, yeah, and did you record that? And the evolution of that, when you think of it, when, I mean, when the players that have uh, been the full-timers, which is the last 20 odd years, so they've been the full-timers, but every player has got a player manager and the player manager gets 3% of his income to manage him. So, so that manager, if he's doing his job, he should be the one who is largely providing or getting the financial advice for that particular player. The clubs themselves will have a, a, a welfare manager that is there for anything that the player needs some help or advice with. And, and you might well come to a, a club with... with the, have you, do you know a financial advisor that you could recommend, for instance? But I think most clubs and most people with clubs would be very loathe to have too much, apart from recommendations, not to be too closely involved in, in what the players did with their money. They might give them the advice, but it's a dicey area if they, they got to sort of almost embrace the advice. Now, post-playing, clubs will try to still be there for play. The Players Association, the AFL Players Association, uh, has a past players alumni for, for the Players might, for instance, have bad injury issues that, from their playing, might need surgery. So the Players Association will play for the cost of the surgery. But I would have thought the clubs, most clubs would say that actually being too closely involved in the financial advice to an individual player, you know, is something his family, certainly his manager should be um, the main uh, source for stuff like that. Mm. Well, Lee, we have uh, unfortunately run out of time, but we'd just like to say a massive thank you for sharing your time with us tonight. Um, some great lessons coming out of uh, the conversation and I'm sure on behalf of everyone it's been uh, an absolute pleasure thank hearing you from very you. Much. So thank Enjoy. you very much. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697.